It's another episode of Movies You Should Love with Lauren and Scott. Welcome, movie lovers, to another exciting episode of Movies You Should Love with Lauren and Scott. <laughs> Setting the bar high at the beginning here. Really high, guys. This is going to be a great episode. We've already seen it. Um, <laughs> uh, here at Movies You Should Love, we look at movies. We like to pick them apart. We like to look at them. We try to figure out what makes them work. Why do people love them? Why do people hate them? What makes them the beloved or hated movies that they are? Uh, classic, modern, um, and everything in between. Um, we kind of think of ourselves as a film school without the tuition. Um, today we're going to be looking at number 21, AFI's Top 100, uh, Chinatown. And if you guys have any opinions on it, we'd love to hear it. Um, find us at fa- on Facebook. Uh, you can find our awesome website at moviesyoushouldlove.com. We're on Twitter. Uh, find us. Tell us what you think. Rate us on iTunes. Um, but before we get into all of that, um, Lauren, um, this is actually our first recorded episode of 2013, which is kind of exciting. Yeah, it's kind of weird. It's, <laughs> it's, we're actually at the end of January, and we've been releasing. But we've, we've been releasing episodes. We yeah, had we a have, backlog from last year. So we had a we, backlog, uh, and there's been a couple uh, little bonus episodes that have been released. Yeah. But this is our um, first full-blown episode. Yeah, and uh, the reason I bring that up is that uh, our family spent the first week of the new year down in uh, Disney, down in Orlando. Mm-hmm. And I noticed something really interesting, and I wanted to bring it up to you, and I wanted to bring it up to the uh, the podcast uh, listeners, is that Mickey Mouse is a really big deal in Disneyland, <laughs> which I know, I mean, that's not news. But what, what really struck me as interesting, or odd, was that uh, you, you have this cast of characters like Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, Minnie Mouse, Goofy, uh, Chip and Dale, you have all these really great old characters that we associate with Disney, but as soon as you leave the park, you don't see them at all. Like, they're just, they're not part of our culture until you go to the parks. And even at the parks, while they were everywhere in the art design, the big attractions were, like, the Disney princesses, or honestly, a lot of the characters and, um, all the characters that Disney has recently purchased, like Star Wars and, and Pixar and um, the Marvel superheroes. Even they, There was an entire, one of the trams that takes you to the park was just plastered with the Avengers. And it was just interesting to see that. And I don't know why that is. I don't know why, why, why do you think, Lauren? Why, why, why do we not have the Mickey Mouse cartoons in front of our movies? Why have those characters kind of faded into obscurity a little bit yeah it's a very interesting thing to me because um you know it uh, there uh, there was kind of a point where you know mickey mouse was this huge he still is he's a huge cultural icon and and the whole cast of characters oh yeah they're all instantly recognizable we still know them by name um uh, you know i think there was a, a major shift in in movies kind of in the in the mid i don't know 60s 70s somewhere in there um where you stopped putting the movie experience changed. Kind of before that, you had, you know, I don't know, reels beforehand. You had your news. You know, you, you didn't get it through television. I think when television really entered the picture, that really changed the way movies operated. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and so before before television, you got your news. You always had a cartoon. You always had several things before the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, TV hit, and that's where you got your cartoons. That's where you got your news. So the movie kind of became more of an event and there was less stuff beforehand. Mm-hmm. It kind of felt, I, I don't know. There was a lot of, a lot of stuff going with that. And, and 
I don't I don't really have a great reason as to why it ended. Um, yeah. You know, I guess it just it it just didn't really fit in with the times. I think is the way it happened, and I wouldn't and be surprised I, too if it had something to do with just the economy of uh, being able to squeeze more movie showings in a day. Yeah. You know, you hear about movies being edited down to ninety minutes mm-hmm. so they can show it more often to get more people in there, and so a five minute cartoon is an easy thing to cut. Yeah, and you know, you get all of that, and you know, aside from that, I I think that. Um, there was kind of this whole modernization of things going on in the 80s and 90s. You know, technology was being pushed. I think animation was getting more and more expensive to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think there was a lot of a lot of elements to it. Um, but that really brings us today to, to today. I, I can see why there has been kind of a larger missing element of some of these things. What I've never quite understood is why we didn't have like larger, just Mickey Mouse adventure movies or that kind of thing. I, I, I feel yeah. like people would still see that. And today, the thing I really don't understand is why, you know, we have like these pre-shows now before the movies. Um, you have things like like Pixar cartoons coming out. Even, even Wreck-It Ralph came out and it had an actual Disney animated short in front of it. But all the Pixar cartoons always have like a five or ten minute short mm-hmm. uh, film, you know, cartoon in front of it. And they, by and large, feature new and original yeah. characters but it's like why don't we have a new donald duck yeah a new goofy in front of the next the next disney yeah. movie? and that's the thing i don't i don't know why you know when when the new pirates of the caribbean comes out which mm-hmm. is a disney property mm-hmm. why don't we have a five minute pirate themed mickey mouse short or donald duck short or something oh, absolutely it doesn't have to be pirates of the caribbean themed but why not just a new fun no like short in front donald of and his nephews at the beach yeah you know <laughs> whatever um, you know, why don't we, when, you know, the next, uh, you know, superhero movie comes out, whether it's the Avengers or, you know, whatever well, Marvel property comes yeah, out the next, next. Why not? Well, you know, why don't you have Super Donald or Super Mickey or Absolutely. something show up and do an adventure Super beforehand? Um, no, I absolutely agree because it's, because that was, that's, that's exactly oh, the thought I had while I was there because another one of the properties that's there at Disney is the Muppets. Mm-hmm. And you, you have the Muppet movies that are coming out. And I always love how the Muppets were played, which is basically they, you have the Muppets and you have like their main story, which is, I kind of would say is the, the original Muppet movies and like the Muppet show and the new Muppet movie where they're coming back to the theater and they're trying to build that. But then you have these movies where they play parts where Mm -hmm. Kermit is, you know, uh, he is Bob Cratchit. He is, you know, and he's the captain in treasure Island. Exactly. It's like, why don't you do that with Disney? That'd be so fun to have, well, like it's Mickey's good. Mickey's Christmas Carol is one of my. I think we both mentioned yes. this in one of our Christmas podcasts a year or so ago. That that is one of both of our favorite yeah. Christmas experiences is watching Mickey's Christmas Carol, and it is it's it's all of the main characters playing parts in a Christmas Carol, and yeah, I would love to see that. You know, um, whether it's like a, a short special like that where it's only a thirty forty minute thing, or like a full blown mm-hmm. feature film, I yeah. think it could be so much fun, and I think Disney. I would love to see Disney do it. And it kind of perplexed me to kind of notice that and go, why have they, you know, because even uh, Warner Brothers, well, every couple of years, they try to do a new um, Looney Tune movie. And so I was like, I I really like those movies. And I would love to see those characters come back and be, you know, something to take the kids to or 
at, at nothing else. Give us a short in front of every Disney property. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I know, I know. You were saying that, like on on the Disney Channel, they do have um, the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. I think it's called. Yeah, and, and I'm glad that there is some representation of Mickey somewhere doing something, something. And, and you know, in the cast of characters. But honestly, we have the Disney Channel, and I didn't know that existed until we came back from vacation and i looked it up i went surely something's going on oh there is this cartoon yeah and uh, you know for me um, i would love to see mickey and and his cohorts back in the theaters where they belong i mean that's that's where they started mm-hmm. that's um you know i'm i'm a pretty huge disney uh disney file i, I love yeah. the history of disney and, and all of that and uh yeah, I think you know. I think it's time. Uh, I really feel Disney has done a disservice to their characters over uh, probably the last forty years or so, kind of since the death of Walt, I would say. Mm-hmm. And you know, I get with I get with Mickey why they let him kind of sit for a while because that was mm-hmm. Walt. Um, yeah. You know, a- after his death, I get why you let that sit for a bit. But they they've brought him back, and I think I think that yeah. that we've moved past that, you know, um, and we can do Mickey again. And I think I think it's really time. For Disney to step up and bring us new, new Disney, you know, new Mickey, new Donald, new Pluto, new Goofy. Um, I think yeah. it's time. I absolutely agree. So get yeah, on so- it, Disney. We know you're listening. All of <laughs> all of you, corporately and individually. <laughs> I concur. So anyway, on to some movies. Yeah. So what have you seen recently, Lauren? Well, um. I, I will say this is as recently. It was uh, while you were at Disney. I was watching Les Mis. Um, it is a long movie. Not 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 the whole time. Yes, it is a long <laughs> time. Um, but uh, and I know you just did a podcast here, which uh, I think covers really most of the strengths of the movie. Yeah. really really well. So I'm uh, I'm just going to preface the things I'm about to say by saying I also agree with any number of points that you made in your podcast, and I actually really liked the movie. Mm-hmm. So everything I'm about to say, take with the the caveat that up front I'm saying I actually did like it overall. Yeah. But I think it's a horribly flawed movie, and for me it is not the best movie of the year <laughs> as it was for you. And yeah. and here's why for me I had some issues with it. Okay. Um it, it really boils down to just a, a few a few things. But the the biggest thing of all, the absolute number one thing for me is I think it is a horribly, horribly paced movie. I think the pacing in this film ruins the storytelling. Okay. Um, and uh, by that, I mean, it's it's 100, what, 153 minutes, something like that. It's really long. It's over two hours. Two, yeah, two and a half, two and two and half hours. Or something. Um, and the entire time the movie is going, it is just barreling down the tracks. The movie never takes a second to breathe. It just, it just bam, 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 from song to song to song to song. And that gets harder because all of the pieces that are connecting pieces are also songs. Yeah. And so there's never any, any room in it to breathe, to understand character, to, to, really, to really let the, the movie have a life of its own. It's almost, to me, the way the, to way the, the movie plays is almost like... They went, we have this huge musical that we have to capture the entirety of mm-hmm. in this film, and we need to get it as close to two hours as possible. Right. So let's cut out every single thing that we can, including the pauses that, mm-hmm. that might let this play a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And, and so for me, it is, it's a horribly rushed movie that never, 
that has lots of emotion in it, but it never gives you time to actually experience the emotion. Mm. Um, and I think that's a major flaw for me in watching it that really detracted as I watched the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing that really, um, that really frustrated me with it was the camera work. Um, mm-hmm. It's a really beautiful movie that you never really get to see because you're always on really tight close-ups of everyone. Yeah. Um, it's a movie that really deserved to have a lot of wider shots in it that really deserved less frenetic camera work and editing. Mm-hmm. And um, because of, because of the way it was put together, again, it, I think it actually, I, I think the intent was to make it much more personal and to bring mm-hmm. you into the characters, um, state of being basically and make you feel what they are feeling yeah but because there is never a sense of place and never a sense of um the overall environment i found it very hard to connect with the characters i actually would have been able to connect more had the had the camera pulled back and been and actually showed me what was going on Right. Um, so to me, that was a, a, a something that really didn't work for me. I, I can see how it might. I think it when it does work, though, in the movie, mm-hmm. like I, uh, the you know Fontaine song is mm-hmm. brilliant, and there's yeah. um, there's there's times where this works. I just wish th- this is kind of maybe my whole thing with the movie is it's kind of a movie that to me feels like an engine that is out of out of tune with itself like it's it's hitting the cylinder at the wrong point and so every time it wants to go one way it's hitting the opposite direction stylistically from the direction Mm. it should go to match with what what is happening on the screen and there's moments where all of the cylinders fire really well together like you know um fontaine's song there's a couple other moments and those are brilliant when they happen Mm -hmm. which makes up for so much of the rest of the movie yeah but the rest of the movie really suffers because of it um, you know, uh, I think I think for me the the other portion of this movie is really the second half, um, kind of the point after where you really should have had an intermission. Which right. this movie more than any other movie, I would is, have been very happy with an intermission. It should have had an intermission, yeah. um, just like the stage play does. It yeah. should have had an intermission, but the whole second half of this movie is because of the of the rushed nature of the film. Mm-hmm. I found the the entire second half completely unbelievable and um, very frustrating. Um, the revolution makes no sense. The romance makes no sense. Um, the revolution makes no sense. The revolution makes absolutely no sense. It's it's there's no context to it. There's no um, um, it's it's just revolution for the sake of revolution without any context to it, basically, and. Um, and because of that, and, and it plays very small, like it, it should play as kind of an epic sort of moment in the movie and they want it to be an epic moment. And I think if you saw it on stage, what happens with all of it is very epic. I think if you saw the battle Mm -hmm. sequence on stage, it would blow your mind. I think that they were able to pull off a battle sequence live Mm -hmm. on stage like that in the movie. It just feels hollow and pointless and, um, well, almost, not, I, not 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 in, not in, not in the sense that it should. It just seems like why are we even doing this? The way you have cr- created this and put it together does not mm. does not equate into a moment um, because it, because their act is hollow and pointless to an mm-hmm. extent. And I get that's the point, but I I mean it 
in the wrong sense of it is the way it plays, not in the way that it actually drives some of that home. Uh, mm. t- to me, the whole the whole second half of the movie just doesn't work at all. There's there's moments in it again that that pull together really well, like with the little mm-hmm. boy running out of the barricade and stuff. Like there's little moments that work, but mm-hmm. as a whole, it really fell apart for me. Mm. So that's that's my stuff with um, Les Mis. What I'm going to say is, though, the source material is really crazy good, mm-hmm. and there's moments in this movie that make me forgive all of the flaws I have with it. <laughs> so it's, it's not my favorite movie of the year, but I really did like it, despite everything yeah. I just said. That's fair. I, I think those are legitimate. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I just, If you want to know my opinion on it, I recorded a, like a 15-minute just like praise of the whole movie yeah and i understand what you're saying there were there were definitely times with especially with the camera work that while i enjoyed getting up in people's faces i think that was a decision they made to try to bridge that theater to film gap mm-hmm. i think they could they could have pulled back a little bit you know but i and I, I think it's i think it, it was probably a decision made from two or three things that led to like well we just need to get the camera up close whether because trying to bridge the gap and also since the actors were singing i think they wanted to show that off and be like you know we really have these guys they're really singing right here right now um and I mean, so i think when it works it works brilliantly no you're right and i i do think there were times that it could have it could have been nice to see the the whole street to see the whole city or whatever no, I, 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 I purely, I, you know, I don't want to bash the movie too much. I just no, wanted to put it, a counter counterbalance to, I think, what you said. No, I, I think that's, your podcast. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I'm gonna, we, we'll leave it there because everything I say, I, there are things I can say, but I said it kind of in the other uh, podcast. Uh, so check that out if you want my side of it. Uh, we'll move on. I'm going to touch very briefly on the movie Skyfall because yeah. uh, you talked about this, and it, by the point people can hear this episode, it will be out of theaters. Um, but I, we went and saw it while we were down in Disney and we all really, really enjoyed it. Um, it was great. You, were, you, you said it was kind of like, it kind of ends up being kind of like a Western. Um, and it really kind of does have that feel at the end where they meet in the church for the final showdown. You know, it's like, it really has a, man, I liked it a lot, you know, and I have a hard time saying it's the best Bond movie ever, but I can't really think of a movie that I liked better than it. Mm-hmm. You it, know, it, I mean, it's like I, I I go back to From Russia with Love, and I mean I, I have loved the I loved Casino Royale. Mm-hmm. Um, this to me kind of takes Casino Royale. Yeah, Daniel Craig's trilogy has been awesome. It's been my favorite of the series, um, and I feel like this kind of takes a lot of what we what I love about Casino Royale and just kind of elevates it even a little bit more mm-hmm. and so this doesn't diminish my love for casino royale but um it was great i mean like i loved the character stuff in it i loved bond as a flawed human being who maybe should be a spy mm-hmm. you know i love like those little bits in it i love that the next movie kind of promises to be a classic bond movie again mm-hmm. you know with the kind of and you said it was kind of like a reboot to the series and i didn't understand that until i saw it where it's like this movie kind of for me is the end of the Daniel Craig journey. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure you could do more, but when you look back to Casino Royale, it was t- trying to reset the character into a more believable, more grounded context. And this is the end of that. It's like mm-hmm. now that we've we've done all this, 
now we can move forward and we're going to try to keep that i feel i hope they try to keep that level of reality but now we are back to bond as you know it here's money penny here's the office mm-hmm. here's uh we've, t- we've told his origin now you can actually have the characters you love in exactly. adventures that that are going to be grounded in this but now we can do just adventures we could do really whatever you want yeah um i did wish that quantum uh figured into the story again that's my biggest issue with it is it just yeah. didn't it didn't pull storylines together because i think it would, it would have really been great if because it does to me have a certain character journey or a franchise journey like i just i just outlined i wish that it could have been a almost a self-contained quantum trilogy as well mm-hmm. like all right we reuse this organization to tell this story to re- reboot the whole bond franchise and now we can move on <laughs> you know um, so I, I hope that they bring them back because that they are a organization and a group of characters I would like to see more of and have that explained and all of that. Yeah. Um, other than that, I don't have any gripes about the movie at all. It was really great with some really wonderful bits of comedy and little moments of the character that I just I loved. I loved him in the new um, the new Q. Uh, meeting in the museum was just like, this wonderful little moment that was like. It was funny, but like in a really dry sort of way, where like I just I loved that scene so much, and it's like it wasn't laugh out loud, but I just had a grin like the entire scene, and that's kind of my take on the whole movie. I love that we had a villain that was that's memorable and creepy and all sorts of things because I kind of feel like that's been the one thing kind of missing from the last two movies. Mm-hmm. While they've been good movies, you don't have that kind of typical Bond villain that so many other movies have. Javier Bardem was great <laughs> and just like really creepy and kind of in a almost Hannibal Lecter sort of way. Just like, I will remember him. <laughs> I do not like this guy. <laughs> so yeah, Skyfall, man. If, uh, if you guys didn't get a chance to see it, I would definitely recommend uh, picking it up when it comes to your nearest Redbox or Netflix or whatever. Yeah. It was I really, agree. really good. I agree. Um, the other thing that I've seen, uh, recently is a, uh, Kind of a little independent movie, uh, written, directing, directed by, and starring Josh Radner of How I Met Your Mother. He plays uh, Ted, in case, mm-hmm. in case you don't know him by his uh, actual name. Um, anyway, it's called Liberal Arts, and it's it's kind of a fun little um, independent film that actually has some depth to it, uh, which was kind of nice. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, it's about a thirty-something guy who goes back to his college to go um one of his favorite professor from college who really impacted him is is retiring and so he goes back uh for the retirement um process of all of that and ends up meeting um elizabeth olsen or her character at least and, uh, <laughs> playing herself uh, is elizabeth olsen right no but um and you know she's a 19 year old sophomore i guess in in college mm-hmm. and he kind of falls for her and they end up with a relationship that that is much um much much better put together than uh a movie than a lot of movies would ever handle a a movie that or a story that has a 17 year age gap uh, 17 year age gap between two people right um it's it's actually a very well thought out kind of movie with a lot of introspection and and thinking about things while at the same time being kind of fun and and uh, I, I really liked it quite a lot. It's um, it's the I, kind of it's the kind of movie I really connect to, and so I really I really enjoyed it. Yeah, a friend of mine uh, who has similar tastes to me when it comes to these kind of smaller films, 
saw it and was like, you really need to see this because we both really kind of uh, bonded over thank, uh, happy thank you. Happy thank you, more, more please. please. Yeah. yeah. And so he's like, if you like that, you'll like this. Because, yeah, uh, Radner wrote and directed and stars in both of those films. And so I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah. Uh, okay, so this last movie... I don't know how to review this movie. I'll be completely honest. <laughs> it's called The Odd Life of Timothy Green, a little Disney film that for our family was wonderful. Um, it really is a fantasy film. It, it, it feels like um, an old timey Disney movie in a lot of really cool ways. Like this, this movie could have come out in the sixties. You know, this, this is a, a, just a, a great family film. Here's the thing about it, though. I can absolutely understand if it, you do not connect with this movie at all. Because it, it, while being a fantasy, it has some very real truths to the feeling a couple goes through when dealing with infertility. So if you're not prepared to handle that, or if you have not experienced that, you may not enjoy this movie. I think it's a movie for a certain... I think it really is a movie that comes from a good place and reaches out to a certain group of people. That being said, Kelly and I loved it. <laughs> that also being said, we spent the rest of the night in tears. The house... The whole house was basically in tears. Our, uh, <laughs> our child included. It was a, it's a very moving movie, but it might not work for you at all. I think it's, I, I think it kind of got panned by critics when it came out and I can definitely see it being the kind of movie where you're either going to just go, that was the best you guys, or plus well, kind of dumb, <laughs> you know, it's like, I think it's either going to work for you or it's not. Um, the, the story basically is it starts off with this young couple played by Jennifer Garner. And um, I think his name is Joel Edgerton. He's a good actor. He was in Warrior. Um, he was also in Episode 2 and 3 of Star Wars as uh, Uncle Owen, as a young Uncle Owen. Um, he's a good guy. And I, I, he's a relatively new actor, though. He's not some, I think he's somebody who's going to be very big um, in, the, in the very near future. But they play this young couple who have been struggling with, uh, with infertility. They want to have a child, and they can't. And one night, they just kind of say let's make a baby. Um, and so they start writing down on note cards all the things, like, well, our child's going to be this and our child's going to be that, you know, honest to a fault, funny, but not in a ha-ha sort of way. Uh, he's, you know, they just start writing all these note cards and then they put it in a box and they kind of bury it in the backyard. And then when that night there's a thunderstorm, it turns out it's an isolated thunderstorm that was only just over their house. And... Um, a little boy wanders into their home <laughs> and he's exactly everything they described that you know everything that they wanted out of a child and it really it's it's just a fascinating film and it ends very very well um but not necessarily in the way you're kind of expecting it to and it kind of ends up being a movie about the journey a parent kind of has to go through to kind of get over the expectations of parenthood and the things that you would clearly want in a child and of a child and the things that you would want to be as a parent to the reality of what it is like to be a parent 
through this young Timothy Green, they're able to make all of their mistakes and essentially become prepared to be good parents. And it's it's a really wonderful movie that I can understand if you don't like it all. <laughs> I, I really think it's going to... I, mean, I even think, like, Lauren, I think you could really enjoy it, but I also think it might be a movie that you kind of go... Uh, I had some, there's, there's some flaws in it or there's some issues in it or we're not prepared to watch that movie at this time or whatever. I think it's definitely something that, um, yeah, I mean, that I, I honestly would really recommend it. I think it's a wonderful family film. Um, but I do think due to some of the content and it's completely, I mean, it's a, it's a PG movie. They, don't, they handle it all very well. But due to some of the subject matter, I'll say, I think it's a movie you're going to connect to or you're not. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely on my list of things I want to see. Um, I just haven't, I just have not made it to that point in my list yet of watching. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, I you know I I remember seeing the trailers for it, kind of going like that looks pretty interesting. I kind of knew what it was about, and and yeah. I am very interested in seeing it. Um, I know I got panned by critics, but that isn't necessarily indicative of of a movie i mean i think it's i really think so. it's a quality film there's there is one character in it who i just kind of want to strangle played by ron livingston because he it, it, this is a this is a fantasy film about a little boy who grows out of their garden mm-hmm. but he plays such a villain it's almost unreal mm-hmm. <laughs> like i kind of go who is this guy <laughs> what is his problem? Because like he kind of goes out of his way to be a villain, not just like, not just a, the boss, not just this guy you kind of don't like, like he does things. You're like, who treats a kid that way? Who does that? But, uh, it's good. I honestly would recommend it. It's like I said, it might not be your cup of tea. Fair enough. All right. Well that, um, that wraps up a bunch of what we have been watching, which takes us yes. to the movie of the day, which is the 1974 Roman Polanski-directed film, which stars Jack Nicholson and Faye Dunaway. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, 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 oh, uh, Chinatown. Yes, I should say the name. <laughs> what is it? What is it? <laughs> Chinatown. Yes. Yeah, about a private detective investigating an adultery case that stumbles onto a scheme of murder that has something to do with water. Hmm. <laughs> I think that's from Netflix or IMDb. It just kind of cracks me up that it has something to do with water. Hmm. Just, just a phrasing. Of it. Yes. Um, so yeah, Chinatown. It. Um, uh, this movie is definitely kind of one of those that is uh, I'm trying to remember it's what number 20 21 something like that what did we decide um, it was 21, 21 yes on AFI's top 100 films of all time list mm-hmm. um, and for good reason I would say this movie um, I, I don't know this is like the probably the fourth or fifth time I've ever seen this film yeah and um, this is one of those that is always just a great movie to come back to for me mm-hmm. um, it was it, it's a movie that is just so well executed in every level um that even though you know where the the little plot points are going to take you and little twists and turns it's going to take um you know even even if you know that on your next viewing of it it still is a fascinating movie because it is because of the way it's made yeah um you know it basically as scott was saying this is this is a mystery film it's a um kind of a, a reimagining of film noir, if you will, that, mm-hmm. that happened in the seventies. And, but it's set in the, in the thirties and, um, 
the the way this movie is told, it's all basically through, not necessarily through the eyes, but through the experience of the main character, the, the detective. Absolutely. And so as you're going through this movie, everything that happens, you find out at the exact same moment that the, that the detective mm-hmm. does. Um, it never... While there's little clues all throughout it, it never pushes you ahead of the story. It never keeps you behind the detective. It's always you and you and the detective are both at the exact same point throughout the whole movie. Yeah. And so it's so every time I watch it, it's always kind of a challenge to kind of go, all right, you know, stay ahead, connect the clues, let's <laughs> let's you know, let's see how this works out. Yeah, and they it's very well. They accomplish that very well by not only the script, but just even the way they film it, where a lot of it is kind of over the shoulder of Jack Nicholson, mm-hmm. where it's it almost kind of made me think of maybe that was a lesson you learned from Citizen Kane, where it's like you have this one kind of character that every that ha- that experiences the entire story, and so you kind of get to see things through his eyes, um, and I really kind of appreciate that because yeah, like, even as you're watching it, like you said, this is probably this fourth or fifth, sixth time I've seen this movie, and I was trying to put the pieces together and going, now, who is that again? But I, I, I was kind of forgetting stuff. I couldn't, I, 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 could, I forgot how certain things tied together. Mm-hmm. And it's not until you're there with him that you go, oh, that's right, and that guy's there. And It's, it's a really well-put-together film. It's a really classic kind of, that film noir kind of story. It's that quintessential detective story where you have the woman who comes in asking for help, and he thinks he's going to be getting involved in this one little case. And very quickly, the entire world just kind of unspools around him. And he finds himself in a very much larger story than he originally thought he was getting himself into. Um, and it takes some really interesting turns by the end of it, which we really should, probably shouldn't spoil. But it's it ends up being not the movie at all you expect it to be. Yeah. You know, especially the final probably five minutes of the movie. Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting because it's it's a movie that has, even though it's all one case, it kind of gives you. There's kind of a, a smaller case within a case, sort of that kind of yeah. happens, and which is a very interesting thing because the, the larger picture of everything that is going on could be kind of confusing. I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, there's a lot to put together. It's it's a movie that really requires you to pay attention, um, and so it's it's a movie that, to me, it rewards both like attention and inattention like the smaller case like you're going yeah. to get closer to it and you'll solve everything and and you'll have a kind of a neat bow on everything yeah. as much as this movie puts a neat bow on everything right and then there's kind of this larger picture that even the movie never quite solves everything with it no and yet you know exactly what's going on if but, you've paid yeah. attention and, yeah and so it's, it's kind of like there's this meta level inside the movie itself to to kind of yeah, there's, there's definitely a, you know three solid stories taking yeah. place throughout this entire movie, even though, like you said, it's, it's one investigation. And it does all kind of revolve around water, and I don't mm-hmm. think it's too spoilery to get into maybe that aspect of the story. Because this was written by um, Robert Town, I believe it was, mm-hmm. um, and he kind of had this vision of a trilogy starring um, Jack Nicholson as this uh, Gettys detective and the first one was kind of about was going to be about water and how it came to LA and how these kind of crooked politicians were going to try to make the most money by buying up land by starving them of water and rerouting the pipelines to do different things and then the second movie which didn't get made until the 90s I think mm-hmm. um, that was directed by Jack Nicholson called uh, The Two Jakes 
was kind of it's almost the same story um but revolving around the gas company and then the third one which was never made was going to be about the train line and how it gets it's a whole thing um but uh really kind of fascinating because it, the, the movie also becomes this little moment of history for los angeles you know mm-hmm. you're kind of in that that golden time of la and the the growth in hollywood and the, the magic of some of that and then also this underbelly this dirty kind of side um fascinating little tidbit about this trilogy is that the third one never got made but a lot of the story for the third movie got incorporated into the film who framed roger rabbit hmm <laughs> so if you watch Who Framed Roger Rabbit as the third installment, just imagine Eddie Valiant played by Jack Nicholson instead of Bob Hoskins. That's hilarious. <laughs> and what's really funny is I actually watched uh, the two Jakes after this, um, and there is a set. Do you remember uh, R.K. Maroon in Who Framed Roger Rabbit? He gets shot through the window in his office. Yeah. Um, that office is used in the two Jakes. Nice. So, like, Jack Nicholson is in that very same room where Eddie Valiant meets the guy, and he's editing the film in the corner, and then later on he gets shot through the window. Um, that set is used in the two Jakes, because apparently it was filmed at around the same time as Who Framed Roger Rabbit, or within a couple of years. So, I don't know if that's a real location, or if that's just on the Warner Brother lot, but it's in the, both movies. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> so, I like it. Yeah, yeah, I really like it. Um so, yeah, Chinatown, I mean, I honestly want, I don't have a whole lot to say about this movie. It is just a really good movie. It's it's well-acted, it's well-written, it's well-directed. There's really no flaws in the film. Um, yeah, I mean, in, in any number of ways, I could basically just call this about a perfect film. I mean, it 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 evokes the per- the time period um, perfectly. I mean, it's... it's mm-hmm. It's exactly the way we want to imagine 1930s Hollywood. Yeah, um, and I think I think there's truth in it as well. I mean, uh, I think some of that is the way that that the dream factories were kind of spinning 1930s Hollywood. Yeah, and so and so that's kind of a great thing. It's it's maybe not what it really was, and that's kind of how this movie goes. Is it digs underneath that? It's that almost surface. yeah. Chinatown's sounds like the collective memory we have of yeah. the fifties. Kind of, <laughs> kind of both the good and the bad of it yeah and you know it's it's a movie that reflects um some of the um some of the 1970s when it was made i mean this movie happened what five years after the the manson murders yeah um you know roman polanski had lost his wife and you know so he's directing this and he you know sticks on he makes them change the ending to be a less happy ending because because that's how he's viewing that's that's where he was at that time yeah um and it and it works brilliantly. I mean, it's it's the way this movie needs to end. Yeah. And uh, you know, I mean, it just uh, the the acting is spot on. The uh, everything about this movie is is basically pitch perfect. Yeah. Um, John Huston in it is an amazing oh, casting great. choice. You know, John Huston is is a, a great director in his own right, and then yeah. having him come in into and play this character in this position of power. In this movie, yeah. you know, this guy who had who had helped create film noir coming in and doing all, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a pretty fantastic moment inside this film as well with all of that. So, and it, it's neat because it is kind of while it is there, there are so many so many elements of the film noir, and I would consider this mm-hmm. a film noir. Um, it doesn't have that voiceover narration that you mm-hmm. kind of remember. Um, and apparently it's because Roman Polanski dropped it. He's like, nah, we're not going to do the voiceover. Yeah. Like, so it was in the script. It was there and ready to go. They just kind of dropped it out. And I'm really kind of happy they did because a part of me kind of wishes they had it. 
And the other part of me just really likes the way the story unfolds without their narrator. Mm-hmm. Um, which actually, it puts Chinatown in stark contrast to the two Jakes, which has constant narration by mm-hmm. Jack Nicholson. Um, and honestly, the two Jakes is, I hate to say this, it's pretty missable. I mean, it's, it's well-written. Um, I think most of the acting is really kind of spot on, but the directing and the overall film, I think, I think kind of suffers in general. It, it has the voiceover narration that kind of makes it a little bit cheesier. I feel like, I mean, I don't know what happened, but I don't know if the, the, the budget was less or just because it was made in the 90s, it has a different feel. But like all the costumes look a little bit cheaper. Like Jack Nicholson's suit never looks like it fits him for a reason I don't understand. I don't know if that was a decision he made to have a big suit, but nothing, it just doesn't quite work. And ultimately the story is almost the, the mystery is almost the same without the Faye Dunaway element. There is a girl, there is a woman in it and there is that she plays into the mystery, but that secondary mystery, that element isn't there. And it's, it's, it's a slightly lesser film for it so um i would definitely recommend anybody check out chinatown but if you can't find the two jakes which apparently is a harder film to find it's not on netflix i just happened to stumble on it at uh at mckay used books where i work um and i watched it and it's it's just not quite as good yeah yeah i i really don't have a whole lot to add to this i mean there there are maybe larger discussions about film noir that could be had or, or any of things but when it just comes down to the movie itself it's a really great mystery film um, that if you've never seen uh, go watch it because it's it's exciting it's um, entertaining it'll keep you guessing and on the edge of your seat and um, you know and it does that really really well even today it holds up very well today mm-hmm. and uh, yeah it's it's great that's my verdict cool so um, if people have already seen this movie or maybe they're not interested in this movie but they do like a good film noir they like a good mystery or I don't know, just any kind of movie that you think, if there's elements of this movie that you liked, but you want something different, yeah. where would you point them, Lauren? Yeah, well, um, just some... Uh, well, obviously, we talked about like the Maltese Falcon and Casablanca mm-hmm. over some of our previous podcasts, and I think those are easy things to kind of show where some of the styling came from. Uh, yeah. You know, there's there's others, other classic film noir, but those are some good places to go. Um, some more recent things... Um, you know, things from kind of the, the same era that were being made that are maybe not noir-ish, but still um, still kind of fit with this. Uh, you might have something like The Conversation. Oh. Um, which is... I remember hating that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it, it's, no, a, it's, a, it's a good movie. It's a, it's a good movie. Uh, I think we hated it for completely separate reasons from... Film school. <laughs> from, yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. Um, that's a whole story in of itself. You know, something like The Godfather, I think fits thematically yeah. kind of with this um you know getting into maybe more current kinds of movies that also do um do the film noir thing or, or the 1930s la hollywood um you have things like la confidential or hollywood land um mm-hmm. and then going into kind of future noir you have blade runner i think yeah. which which really um fits really, in very well i uh, before I mean, Blade Runner, we have a whole podcast about, but yeah. you just said Hollywood Land, which is a, a movie I really, really like. It's a movie that I think, I don't know, I feel like it kind of got overlooked, or it's a movie that people don't think about very often, but um, it's a great kind of film noir mystery on top of Ben Affleck as George Reeves is just 
great. Like his scenes dealing with being Superman and his eventual murder or death is just fantastic. It's really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I have no issue recommending any of those movies. Yeah. Um, you Scott, anything that you want to add to that list? Well, I would definitely complete the trilogy by watching Who Framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> um, I love that movie, um, and it's it's fun just knowing its connection. It really isn't connected, but it is interesting to see how the like, every there are lots of elements. Like the third movie, actually in this planned trilogy, was going to be called Cloverleaf, which is the name of the uh, the train company in Who Framed Roger Rabbit who's being shut down so they can build the interstate. So it, it is fun, but it's very tangential. Um, the Two Jakes, I honestly, I mean, if you've seen Chinatown and you're kind of curious about it, it, it is interesting from a curiosity stand, uh, standpoint just to kind of see um, the next chapter in Getty's life. Uh, it's not a great movie, but, you know, if you're kind of a completist, it's it's worth checking out. Um the other movie I would recommend, and it's only because, to me, what I loved, one of the things I love about Chinatown is Jack Nicholson. And I love He's watching great. him as an actor, um, and especially some of these older films. And so if you like this, and if you haven't seen One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, to me, they together kind of, you, you put those two, and then you maybe throw in Batman with him as the Joker, kind of like the trifecta of Jack Nicholson. And you, it doesn't get better than that. Actually, it does. Um as good as it gets is oh, really, yeah. really good if you like Jack Nicholson. But that's really me just approaching it as a Jack Nicholson fan. Um, but yeah, I would definitely recommend One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest and Who Framed Roger Rabbit and basically everything you said. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, well, that is uh, kind of our uh, maybe shorter than usual take on, on the movie of the week, but uh, I think it's kind of a movie that really, it just speaks for itself at the end of the day. It really um, does. And honestly, it to me, what makes it great is kind of something that we said when we reviewed vertigo uh which is that to me this is somebody who learned good lessons from the masters and applied it to a movie there's a lot going on here where it's just done right he might not be the person who did it first but it doesn't really matter because it's done right here <laughs> you know yeah done right across the board yeah um so yeah, uh, Chinatown, check it out. Uh, next time, we are going to be talking about, I'm not sure what the number is. Number 10. Number 10 on AFI's top 100 list. But uh, yeah, The Wizard of Oz, the mm. uh, classic Judy Garland fantasy adventure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, check us out next time on the podcast. Uh, you can always hear our archives or join in the conversation on our website, moviesyoushouldlove.com. Um, yeah, tell a friend. Um, it seems more people are, have been recently discovering us, and they're finding us by um, finding specific episodes. We recently released a uh, listener request of the Matrix trilogy, and I'm seeing that kind of being shared around on Facebook between different people. And so if you have a friend who's kind of into movies, let them know about the podcast. Or if they have questions about certain movies, let them know about particular episodes. Yeah, exactly. Um and yeah, you can always find us on Facebook, uh, movies you should, or facebook.com slash movies you should love, movies you should, yeah. sorry. And, uh, and then on Twitter, our handle is movies you should. Um, and yeah, just let us know what you think. If you've got movies you want us to check out, if you've got things to tell us, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Absolutely. So until next time, uh, enjoy watching your movies. Absolutely. You've been listening to the Movies You Should Love podcast. Join in the conversation at moviesyoushouldlove.com. 